Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Good to see everyone. We're going to jump into the Word this morning. This is one of my favorite times of the year to preach. I love to preach at Christmas time because Christmas lends itself so much to revival. And I'm a revival guy. I love the outpouring of the Spirit. And Christmas lends itself to addressing how God invades the earth. And so we're going to look this morning. Now, I want to touch on something this morning that uh, I've preached on a number of years ago. We're still trying to dial it in, guys. But uh, I, we, I preached on this a number of years ago, but during the prayer meeting on Thursday morning, uh, I just felt like the Lord prompted me again to, to circle back around on this passage. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, turn with me there, chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. We're going to look at this passage uh, I do want to say that if you can, we've been praying Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday from 7 to 8 on Wednesday, 6 to 8, for those of you that have to get to, the, get to work earlier. And uh, we've just been crying out to God for this nation. And uh, the Lord's been visiting us, and it's been good. Uh, this is a time for us to contend for God's visitation. Uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to be in that pocket. The history belongs to the intercessor. Don't be seduced by the false theology that says that everything that happens is God's will and that God's will always happens. Let me say it again. Don't be seduced by the theology that says everything that happens is God's will. And the flip side of that is everything, God's will always happens. God is not willing that any should perish, but we know some do. So God's will is not always done. It's because God's looking for human partnership. And uh, if we can get a vision for that, if we can understand that, we can engage our hearts. And there are, there are theologies that actually undermine our prayer life. And there are a lot of people that have bought into them in subtle ways. And so we need to confront that thing straight on so that our heart can be ignited in intercession. If there's ever a time in the last hundred years that this nation needed to be ignited in prayer, it's now. We could lose this nation. I have faith. God's going God's to step in and we're going to rescue this thing. And uh, so I, I believe, you know, God's going to do it as we continue to pray. So uh, jump in with us. But on Thursday morning, uh, as, I was, as I was praying, the Lord just dropped this in my heart again. So I want to share something with you. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you for this day. And uh, Lord, we're asking that you would speak to us. Lord, I ask that you would wear me like a glove. Lord, use my vocal cords to speak your word. Lord, we've come to hear from you, not from some man's opinions. And so, Lord, anoint me. Enlighten your word. Let your teaching fall like rain. I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to fill the atmosphere. That, Lord, those that can tune in can catch the message before I even say it. And I'll just be up here for those that can't tune in. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking this morning, this thought. In the Old Testament, God would clothe people with his presence. There's passages where God would clothe himself. But in the New Testament, God clothes himself with us. He dwells inside of us. 
And uh, man, I want to be, you ever had a pair of gloves that got frozen or maybe you got paint on them and they no longer, they, it's like they resist your movement. I don't want to be like that. I want to be one that moves with him, that I don't resist his movement. Uh, you know, we can, I don't want a mind of my own. I want the mind of Christ and move with him. So, amen. All right. Let's look at Luke chapter two, verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields. Let me pause there. I'm telling you, I love this passage. And there's some, there's some things I'd love to run, some tracks I'd love to run on, and maybe we'll get into that later. This is an amazing picture. It's one of the most famous Christmas stories. It has been told in literally tens of thousands of ways over the centuries, and it never runs dry. This is a well that keeps on flowing. In the same way, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. I can imagine. They're out there minding their own business. You know, there are guys telling jokes around the fire, and all of a sudden, poof, the, the whole place lights up, and there's an angel. They were filled with great fear, I can imagine. So, what does the angel say? Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the peoples. So, he said, literally, he said, I'm bringing the gospel to you. That word good news is the same word we translate. Gospel, Evangelion. It's, I bring to you the gospel of great joy. The gospel brought great joy. And if the gospel, when you hear the gospel, it doesn't create joy in your heart, it's because you have misunderstood the message. Because if you really understand it, it's going to ignite joy in your heart. You can put it this way, batteries included. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if, when you hear the gospel, it'll strengthen you to live it out. And if you don't have the strength to live it out, you haven't really understood the gospel. That's another message for another day. But fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day. I always, that always intrigues me. They're probably thinking, I didn't know we were pregnant. But he said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's, because these are angel, this is an angel, and in a moment, a bunch of them are going to show up. The whole sky is going to fill with an angelic choir. And this angel is speaking from an angelic, heavenly perspective. He just shows up because he has a captive audience, and he said, unto you, to who? To you humanoids, to you human beings, there's something happening tonight. Unto the human race has been born a child. A Savior who was Christ the Lord. And he uses three terms here that are undeniably connected to the gospel and leave us no doubt about what he's really saying. And left the shepherds no doubt of what he was saying. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. All three of those terms were used of this little baby. And then he says this, and this is what I want to focus on this morning. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Whenever I read this, I see Linus with his little blankie and he's talking. That's a powerful little scene. And uh, little Linus speaking this out. I tell you what, when I watch that, there's an anointing on that little cartoon because it's speaking the word of God. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths I want to say clothes because that's uh, 
uh, King James is in my head from childhood, and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with that declaration, with the release of that message, with the release of the sign, all of a sudden a bunch of angels show up. They can't help themselves. They, they are pressing in to the earthly realm because they are so excited. Because they understand at least in measure what the human race is, what has not yet dawned upon the human race. This is an amazing night. All of heaven has been buzzing for some time. They watched as, as uh, Michael sh or Gabriel showed up with Mary and they watched all this. They watched Elizabeth and Zachariah and all this activity and they're wondering what's happening and now it's beginning to make sense and they can't contain it. It's like they're looking for someone to tell and there's some shepherds out there telling jokes around the campfire. There they are. And poof, the whole sky lights up and they've just got to share this message. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. In our realm, the heavenly realm, glory to God. And on earth, in your realm, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pleased or peace to men. This was God's overture of peace. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. This was God's overture. I'm not here to condemn you. I wanna, I wanna make peace with man. It wasn't God who picked the fight. Scripture says we're born in sin and at enmity. That's an old King James word that means we were enemies of God. We were born that way. We resisted his law and of our choosing, but God is the one that made the overture of peace. And so it says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered about what the shepherds told them. So they're going around, they're telling everybody. If you have an angelic visitation, tell people. And when Mary, but Mary, so it juxtaposes the shepherds who told everybody, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart because they would literally become the child rearing manual by which she would raise the Messiah. She, she pondered all these supernatural activities and she looked through those lens when she would interact with her little baby. Mary treasured up these things, pondering them. Literally in the Greek, it means that she, she took them in, she valued them, but then she mixed them together with all the other messages she received. When the, when the shepherd showed up, she added that to her prophetic, uh, her, her little prophetic journal of the visitation she'd had nine months earlier. And the encounter she had with her, her uh, cousin Elizabeth, she was adding all these words Later on, she would add what the, these magi, these wise men would tell. And she's, she's accumulating all that. And that, that's all becoming part of the, the, the view of how she views this child. And out of the prophetic word, she would begin to raise this child into its destiny. For some reason, God saw something in this young girl that he could entrust the Messiah to. And verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God, for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. Again, this is one of the most famous passages, uh, the Christmas story. The angel was delivering the gospel to them. 
This was clearly, it wasn't the full gospel, it wasn't the whole gospel, but it was definitely the foundations of the gospel. It was the beginnings of the gospel. And so he begins to share how the Messiah had invaded the earth realm that night. But the real message we're going to look at today is the safeguards that God put in place so that we wouldn't miss it. I'm so intrigued by that little phrase that said, and this shall be a sign unto you. You see, God left some signs, some signposts along the way so they wouldn't miss what he was doing. He didn't just say the Messiah is going to show up, figure it out. Because left to themselves, I'm sure they would have had a, a different set of criteria for God's invasion, for the Messiah, for God to become flesh. They would have probably figured he'd been a palace and, and all these other criteria. So God was very clear. I'm going to give you some markers. I'm going to give you the roadmap so I, you can make sure that you find this thing tonight. And I believe that the signs that God gave these shepherds were not an isolated incident. It wasn't a one-time thing. Well, you know, that's, that was the template for that night, but it doesn't apply to you and I. The fact is, this is the way of God. And there are some markers that, that the sign still applies to you and I, especially on the front end of a move of God. You see, it's easy to miss a move of God. You can put it this way. There are two ways to miss a move of God, consciously and unconsciously. You can, move it on per you can miss it on purpose or you can miss it out of your own ignorance. You say, Pastor, do people really miss a move of God on purpose? I'm sad to tell you they do. There are people. I remember years ago when, when uh, I first became the pastor here and, and uh it was probably a year in, and God began to move. We were in the little building on the other side of town, and, and God began to visit us as a church. And I remember this one, one woman came up, and uh, she came up for prayer that morning, and she had a bunch of family that were visiting. And she got prayed for, and the power of God hit her, and boom, she hit the floor. And you could tell, she wasn't, it wasn't a courtesy drop. Okay, this was unexpected. Boom, she hits the floor, gets right back up, and you know, kind of straightens herself and marches back to her. And I could tell she wasn't real happy with what just happened happened. God didn't ask her permission. He just knocked her down. Why did she fall down? Because she couldn't stand up. There's your theological reason for why people are slain in the spirit, because they can't stand up. And I remember she called me. It was either that day or the next day. And it was a strange phone call. She said, pastor, I, I just, and she kind of stuttered and beat around the bush. She said, I, I just, I, I want you to know, I know this is God. Click. I said, okay, you know. I thought, well, she's wrestling through this. And it wasn't but a few months later, she called and she told one of the pastors, she said, I, I don't want this kind of thing. I don't want to go to church and have all this stuff, ha stuff happening. I just want to go to church. I want to sing some songs, hear a message, and go home. I don't want all this stuff. And it broke my heart. That family left the church. A few years later, she left her husband. I mean, it was just a tragic story, and I won't go on, but it was a tragic story. But it's a serious thing to make the phone call, the first phone call she did saying, I know this is God, and then to make the second phone call and say, but I don't want it. 
Because when you make that decision, you're not just making a decision in a moment. You can't compartmentalize God. You can't say, God, I'm open to this, these things about you. She knew too much. Now, had she not known that was God, it would have been a different story. But she knew. And she wanted to compartmentalize God. She was saying, God, I want you to have my life on my terms. I want you to have this much. I want you to act this way. This is the way I'll allow you to move in my life. And by putting a limitation on God, she began to put God's at arm's length. And she set in motion a process we find in Ephesians chapter 4 called the hardening of the heart. And there's a progression, a frightful progression we're not going to get into today. But I want you to look at that sometime in Ephesians chapter 4. It's a sobering thing. So you can consciously miss a move of God. I've known pastors to have visitations. I mean, I'm talking about angels showing up in their office. People crying out for a move of God and having an angelic visitation. But then other leaders threatening to leave the church if they allowed that stuff in the church and then make decisions. And those churches became shells of what they once were. It's a serious thing to say no to God. We can miss a move of God consciously. But you know what? I don't think you'd be here this morning if you wanted to consciously miss a move of God. I don't think you're of that company of people. But we all need to realize, and I'm preaching to myself this morning, we can all miss a move of God unconsciously because we fail to recognize his movings. It's one thing to see Jesus show up as a full-grown adult coming out of the wilderness after 40 days in the power of the Spirit, driving out demons and healing the sick and feeding the multitudes. And, and it says that they were in awe of his miracles, but they were also in awe of his teaching, the wisdom that would come out of his mouth. It's one thing to miss a move of God when it shows up in full-grown maturity like that. It's a whole nother thing. It's an easier thing to miss it when it's the infant expression. When it's on the front end, when it's just the baby move of God. And there are those who will embrace the full-grown expression, the mature expression, and there are th but they'll reject the infant expression, but God needs those who will recognize and protect the infant expression until it's no longer vulnerable. And that's what Christmas is about in one sense. God is looking for those who when God begins to move in just those small ways that we recognize it with eyes of faith and we begin to blow on the embers. And I think a lot of times, I think we've all been guilty of it. We're crying out for a move of God in our personal life, in our church, in our family. And when it arrives, we don't recognize its beginnings and we pour water on the embers because we don't recognize what God is doing. We're despising the day of small beginnings. Again, it's easy to, it's easy to worship at the altar of the man who can heal the sick and preach to the multitudes and do the miracles. It's another thing to be the wise men that worship at the manger when it's just a baby. Whereas the multitudes were in awe, again, of his teaching and his miracles. Mary was in awe of his arrival. This is the sign. I want to be, I want to have eyes of faith. I want to learn the ways of God. 
And God leaves these little signs along the way. Why? Because God knows in our journey with him that there are junctures, there are forks in the road where it's easy to miss it, take the wrong turn, and we end up missing a move of God. So he leaves signs, and signs point to something. They signify. It's the, the root word of signify. They're, they're pointing to things, and God leaves us signs. And the angel said, Behold, this is the sign. You shall see a baby lying in a manger. Well, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. All three of those are part of the sign. There is a frightening verse in, first, or in John chapter 1. Not 1 John, but the Gospel of John chapter 1. It says, he came to his own, but his own received him not. They didn't recognize him. I want you to think about that. This is the Jewish people, the Messianic people. They've been crying out for the visitation. They've been crying out for the coming of the Messiah. And when he arrived, they would bump into him in the marketplace and not even recognize it. I can't think of a more tragic little snapshot of a people that is crying out to God. They bump into him and they keep on going because they didn't realize the answer to their prayer was right there and they missed it. They didn't recognize it. So God leaves us signs. He wants us to recognize the day of small beginnings. I can't tell you the times I've seen where a church begins to have some movings of the Spirit. God begins to do some things, and then somebody, see, one of the, one of the most dangerous places to be in recognizing a new move of God is having experienced one previously. Let me say it again. One of the, one of the most dangerous thing to have in your repertoire, in your history, when you're evaluating a fresh move of God, is that it, you've experienced a move of God in the past. Because usually the experience of the move of God is after it's full grown. The masses enjoyed Jesus when he walked the earth as the full grown 30 to 33 year old man driving out devils. Most didn't experience him when he was in the manger. And usually what we do is we, we, we compare our full-grown experience with the infant, and then we're disappointed. And we pour water on the embers, and we say, well, that isn't like it. We fill in the blank. My past experience. And we've got to be very, very careful that we recognize the small stirrings when God begins to move. I leave a sign unto you. This shall be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Don't miss it. They had been crying out for this full-grown expression. They, they, were, they were waiting for some full-grown military leader like David. But see, this is the way God always moves. And that's why I say this is not an isolated thing. This isn't a thing, well, we just, that, that was for that particular scenario. This template has nothing to do with us. No, I'm telling you it does. This is a kingdom template. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Whenever God moves, he starts out with the infant expression. Do you realize God only made trees one time? 
And now if you want a tree, you don't pray for it. God, you don't, you don't, you know, if you want need landscaping, you don't lay on your face at the primary. God, send bushes. Lord, speak again. I want a big maple tree. No, what you do is you go out and you buy some seeds that came from a tree, that came from a tree, that came from a tree, somewhere down, way down the line that came from the original trees. But God only made trees once. And, in, and those trees would produce seeds. And see, Many of us have this mindset, we're praying for the miraculous tree to pop in our yard when God's saying, no, 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 no. Don't pray for a, a tree. Cooperate with the process that I've placed in the earth. Get a seed, plant it, and coax the life out of that thing and begin to cultivate the ground around it, water it, and the process will produce the very thing you've been crying for. It's really the difference between Promised land and wilderness thinking. Wilderness thinking. Every morning they would get up and there'd be fresh manna laid out all over. It was miraculous. Every morning they'd get up and we'd get our, our bucket of manna. Miraculous living. Woo! But you know what? God frames that as the inferior economy in the Old Testament. The superior economy is when day one, when they stepped in the promised land, all of a sudden, bloop, the manna... Stop showing up. I love Chris Valentin says, they probably, you know, because there was no record that it would stop. So they're thinking, oh, I guess we're on a fast today. Then they get up the next day, oh, I guess it's a three-day fast. And then fourth day, oh, no, it's a 21-day. Then on day 20, ooh, it's a 40-day. And on day 41, oh, this is a new day. They were having the, it used to, now it's, it's not, Asking God to show up miraculously, it's cooperating with the system he created in the earth. And even the arrival of the Messiah happened within the context, cooperating with the, the, the nature of things. He didn't just show up as a full-grown man. I'm, you know, I'm ready to preach the gospel. He showed up as a vulnerable, vulnerable little baby, and he needed a Mary that would allow him to be formed in her womb. He needed a Joseph that would lend his name to this thing. He needed the shepherds and the wise men that would fund it, and all those players, because there was a, a partnership between heaven and earth. But the way God works... He answers our prayer with a seed and not a tree, with the baby and not a full-grown Messiah. And if we don't understand that, we reject the baby because, well, the armor doesn't fit him. How's he going to lead us? We're wanting to pick apples the day after we pray when God gives you a seed and says, it'll be a few years. But if you'll cooperate with it, you can have a whole orchard. And meanwhile, the guy that's fasting and praying for, the, for one tree, he's still praying and hungry, while the other guy who cooperated with nature has an orchard. So we need to learn to cooperate with God. And I'm afraid that often God answers our prayer and we don't recognize it. So I'm here to tell you, this shall be a sign unto you that the Messiah has stepped in, that God's activity, that your prayers have been answered. You will find a baby. The infant expression of your breakthrough, it shows up barely able to make itself known and often demands your care to survive. 
But if you will nurture that thing, you will nurture it into the breakthrough you've been crying out for. But we, we can end up despising the day of small beginnings. Zechariah chapter 4. We're, we're in the middle of a, a, a teaching on prophetic foundation. So we're teaching on the prophetic on Wednesday nights and we've been interrupted. And so last week we did it and we're going we're gonna to close it up this week. And I'm going to talk about, now this isn't going to like generate a big crowd. I'm going to talk about the false prophetic. Because we can all fall into that. And it's not what you think. Do you know that Jonah's prophecy didn't come true? And the girl with the spirit of divination in Acts chapters at 19, what she said was true. But she was the false prophet and Jonah was the true one. It's not what we think it is. Now, of course, Jonah, the whole purpose of his prophecy was so that it wouldn't have to happen. But some of us don't understand that. And so when that happens, we talk, oh, false prophet. No, he's like Jonah. He was successful in his prophecy. So we'll get, we're going to get into that. I'm starting to get pulled into Wednesday night. But on Wednesday night, we were talking about Zechariah chapter 4. There's this fascinating picture where the angel of the Lord comes and says, hey, what do you see? And he says, I don't know. He says, you don't know? He's a smart aleck angel. You don't know? And he said, well, I see a, 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 a candlestick, a lamp, a lampstand. It was a menorah. I see a, a menorah, I see this, this lampstand with these burners, but it was different than your average menorah. There were little tubes coming off the burners, and then above the burners was a bowl. So, I mean, that's, that's going to take up some room in your, in your living room. That's a weird-looking, you know, setup here. It's, it's got tubes and then a bowl. And not only that, it's got two living olive trees on either side. And then the angel of the Lord tells him, oh, yeah, this is what this weird picture means. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's what that menor, that weird picture means. It is a picture of the spirit-filled church. The church that is moving forward in the things of God. Because according to Revelation chapter 1 through 3, you can have a church but not have a lampstand. Jesus said, I will remove your lampstand. He didn't say, I'm going to shut down your services. He just says, there ain't going to be no fire there. There's not going to be any witness of the Spirit in that place. There's no oil burning. Man, that ought to make all of us just fear and tremble a little bit. I don't know about you, but I ain't interested in coming to church if there ain't, if there's, okay, that's not good grammar, but it's good preaching. I am not interested in coming to church if there's no oil and there's no fire. And we need to contend. And when we're feeling like there's no oil or fire here, we need to take that serious and press in. And I'm telling you that that picture is a picture of the prophetic church. We, I know, sorry, those of you on Wednesday night, no, Pastor, you're re-preaching your message. I got a reason. I'm going to go on in the passage. According to Revelation, the candlestick is the spiritual witness that registers in the spiritual realm through the church. Without that candlestick, we have an earthbound organization. Could be a fine oil, not fine oiled, it could be a, a well-working machine, well-administrated, a lot of people, but there's no impact in the spirit because we have no oil and no fire. But if you go later on in the book of Revelation, verse, I want to say it's chapter 11, 
he directly quotes from this passage. Later on in the passage, it refers to the two olive trees as these are my two anointed ones who stand before the Lord of all the earth. But in the book of Revelation, it lifts that, that phrase, these are my two anointed ones, and applies it to the two prophets, the two witnesses that are bearing witness to the Lord and they're slain in the street, remember, and for three days and then raised again. So what we have is we have the prophetic the prophets become the olive trees that are continually harvesting the fresh oil in the form of the word of the Lord, putting it in the bowl, the reservoir of the church, so that the oil is continued, the weight of it is pressing down into the burners, and the church is burning bright. So this picture of not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, is a picture of the prophetic church that is continually moving into the fresh things of God. They're not, they're not feeding off of old manna. It's fresh oil is continually moving the church into new things. That's why 2 Chronicles uh, 20, 20, it says, if you believe the Lord, you'll be established. But if you believe his prophets, you'll, literally in the Hebrew, you'll have forward momentum. You'll be breaking into fresh things because you're not, you're not just left with the knowledge of God, which is extremely valuable, but you also have the now of God. What's on his heart in the moment? The whole Bible's important, but it's not all equally important at any given moment. So what's he saying now? And when we know the now of God, we can break into that and follow. And he leads us on and the church continues to make an impact in the spiritual realm. Why do I bring all that up? Just as a shameless plug for Wednesday night? A little bit, but not fully. Let's look at, let's look at Zechariah 4 real quick here. I didn't mean to get that far into it, but listen to what comes next here. He says, look at verse four. And I said to the angel who talked to me, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked to me answered me and said, do you not know what these are? I love that. He just said, I don't know. But the angel kind of rubs his face in it. And he said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then he says this, who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he, he shall bring forward the top stone amidst shouts of grace, grace to it. So it's, it's, the top stone was the capstone or the corn. It was the, uh, the, the capstone. It was, it, it, sometimes it was a keystone, you know, where the arches that would hold it together. But it's the final thing, the cap that they would place upon the completed edifice. So it's saying, hey, we're going to rejoice at the completion. But then look at what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For where, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. In other words, not everybody's rejoicing about the foundation. There are those who miss it, but those who have prophetic eyes and see, when they see the beginning, they know it's going to be completed because God never starts something he doesn't fully intend to complete. So when you have eyes of faith, when God begins a good work, you already get your praise on because you are already reaching into the future and living out of the hope of the completed work. You see that God's going to do this thing. So while as some people despise a baby, is this it? Those who have eyes of faith, ho, 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 
I know this was a miraculous arrival, so I know that the capstone shall be laid. I know this thing's going to make it. The, the invasion has begun. And we are called to be a prophetic people. When we begin to cry out to the Lord for something, God begins to break in in small little ways. And you must be careful not to despise the day of small beginnings. Sometimes we get our hopes up because there's there's, it's an infant. There's a little bit of movement. And then we get discouraged and we ignore it and we starve that infant expression to death, not realizing that was the beginning. And you've got to keep yourself encouraged in the Lord and keep feeding what God began because the beginning is what's going to grow into the completion. And so we've got to be a prophetic people that keep in, keep feeding on the word of the Lord and see God realize his purposes in our life. So let's, let's look at this real quick. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The baby, it always starts in an infant form. When God answers your prayer. See, when we look at revival... We look at the revival once it's become public. We, we look at it once it's full grown. It's the full grown mature man when it, when it hits the airwaves, when it makes it on YouTube and Sid Roth has the pastor in, you know. Uh, when that's happening, it's already full grown. And we're like, oh yeah, I believe it, hallelujah. But what about do you believe it when there's a company of people just praying that thing in? That's what God is looking for. I'm preaching to the early adopters this morning. I'm not talking about the late adopters that jump on the bandwagon after someone else has fasted their guts out and then they're like, man, look at this revival we have. We? Hey, how about you get in on... <laughs> okay, I had an attitude, I admit. <laughs> the, let's get in on this ground floor and let's pray this thing in. Let's be the early adopters that recognize the infant expression. When God begins to move, it starts in the smallest of ways. But those who have eyes of faith begin to get excited. And other people won't understand. Really? And matter of fact, many of them, because they've experienced, they have experience, they all begin to poo-poo this, and they'll tell brother, I've been in revival. This isn't revival. Brother, I've had a breakthrough. Brother, my children are serving the Lord. And that is not what this is when it comes to your child. But you know your child. And that little thing, that little expression of some positivity, you're getting your dance on because you know that was not them. And that's how you should respond. You're not sticking your head in the sand. You're living in the prophecy. You're sticking your head in the prophecy. You know, you're living from that perspective. And that's how we have to live. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. I don't know any other way to communicate this, but I feel like I'm not saying it. Some of you, the little emergence of what you've been crying out to God for is already around you. It's already around you. And you're, you're still looking up, praying, when God said, look down and begin to care for the baby. This thing has already arrived. Get, your, get excited. Get your hopes up. Begin to feed this thing. Because this is the beginning of the very thing you've been crying out for. It's a baby. 
It's going to arrive in infant form. God doesn't give you a tree. He gives you seed. And he doesn't give you a full-grown Messiah. He sends a baby that demands the care of human beings to cooperate with heaven to get this thing up and running. And it's wrapped in swaddling clothes. Kathy and I had, a, had some friends that we, we ministered with for many years at Teen Challenge. And for a while, we were like on a race to see who was going to have more babies. Because we kept having babies at the same time. And uh, we won, by the way. Hallelujah. <laughs> but they were close behind. And uh, this guy, he would take his little babies and wrap them really tight. So you could almost throw them like a football. Hey, go out for a long one. <laughs> Put it to bed, you know. No, we, we would have done that, but our wives, my wife, when we first started having kids, she rebuked me on how we would, you know, throw the kids up and play with them. So anyway, that's another story. But I asked him one time, I said, man, Jeff, you, you wrap those babies so tight. He said, well, what I'm doing is I'm replicating womb life. I said, that baby's been used to living inside my wife and it couldn't move much. And that was its secure little environment said, now one of the reasons babies kind of start crying and freaking out is because their, their arms are flailing like, whoa, this is too big an environment. Whoa, I don't, you know, the lay of the land, whoa. And so he said, I wrap them real tight and it makes them feel secure again, like they're living in womb life. Now, I, you know, I mean, was he right? Well, it seemed to work. You wrap them in swaddling clothes. You, so here's, here's the point. When God, when God begins to answer your prayer, you know how it shows up? Infant expression with very little movement. But eyes of faith recognize it. Ho, 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 ho. This is it. This is what we've been praying for. It poops. It burps. It spits up on you. My childhood pastor, I'd, I'd lost touch with him for 35 years. And we finally reconnected. He, he traveled the earth for many years. Just went to be with the Lord last year. One of the first things he said to me Pastor Tucker, we gave each other hugs, and oh, it's good to see you. And, he, and so he, he stepped back and said, this is Dave Olson. You know, when I dedicated him to the Lord, he spit up on my suit. That was his remembrance of me. That's <laughs> what babies do. They make messes. But eyes of faith recognize that this is the Lord. I was out at one time, uh, Jack Taylor was going to go out to Bethel. He was just going to go honor Bill Johnson. And so I said, hey, Jack. How about I tag along with you? Because if you go with Jack, you get treated as royalty. We had special seating, special parking. You walk in, I'm with Jack, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we, were, we went in there. And, and uh, so we got a, there was a little group of us because other guys got the same idea. So we all went together. And uh, so we're all tagging along on Jack's shirt tails. And uh, there were some funny stories from that trip we don't have time for. But uh, Bill was sharing. We had an audience with Bill and with Chris and different ones. And Bill shared something, and I realized, because I told Jack on the way back to the airport, I said, Jack, I've been to Bethel on a Sunday morning now. And I said, to be honest, I'd just soon be at Heartland. He kind of looked at me in the mirror. I don't know what he thought about that. But I said, because what I realized is the impact that Bethel is making on the earth is not because of their services. It's because of the culture they've produced around it. It's a culture 
of revival that is producing leaders. They're, it's a prophetic culture that they call each other into greatness. They're not only keeping in mind their prophetic words, they're keeping in mind each other's prophetic words and relating with each other through that. They're like, Mary, here's our, our manual. How do we relate? Oh, I remember that word so-and-so gave to you. And they relate with them out of it. But Bill said something that I thought was so intriguing. Matter of fact, John Huffy brought it up the other night. And so you may have heard this as well. But he talked about when he left Weaverville Church, had a church about 300. The whole town was about 2,000. No, I think it was like 1,200. And he goes to Bethel. The church itself had more people in it than the town he came from. And they were in full-blown revival in Weaverville. I mean, God was moving in power. And he knew the Lord sent him to Bethel for God to bring a breakthrough. And so just a few weeks into it, he teaches, calls everybody forward, releases the spirit of God on the congregation. He said, the altars were full and everybody's just looking like deers in the headlights. They didn't know what to think of all this except one lady started laughing. She just got touched and she's laughing and Bill said, I looked at Benny and our eye, it's his wife. He said, our eyes caught. And he said, I thought, there's no stopping it now. And when he said that, I thought, that is one of the secrets of this house. Because Bill Johnson looked at that with the eyes of faith. And most guys that are used to seeing the Spirit of God just fall on their church week after week after week, if they got to the new place and they did that, and out of 2,000 people, one person starts laughing, they'd go home discouraged, but not Bill. Because he understood the sign. This shall be a sign unto you. You'll find a baby with very little movement. But that's a sign of the Messiah. It's the sign that what we've been crying out for has already arrived. And when you see it like that, you begin to fan in the flame. You don't despise the day of small beginnings. You begin to nurture it, and it begins to grow. You see, the real battle is inside your own head. It's not what's happening out here or not happening out here. It's what's happening between here and here. Are we stewarding what God is already doing because it is actually the pathway to get where we want to go? Or are we neglecting what God is presently doing and has done because we're so set on, I want the big breakthrough. That big breakthrough is a tree. God's only produced trees once. It's the same thing when people say, you know, uh, some movie star will say, yeah, they say I'm an overnight success. Well, it took me 20 years to be an overnight success. Overnight, yeah, because we never heard of them in those 20 years, and then they became successful. It's the same thing with revival. It's the same thing with, with breakthrough. People seeing, whoa, aren't you blessed? They don't know what's gone on behind the scenes. There's a process to this thing, and we've got to learn to cooperate with the process. So he says, it's a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and it's lying in a manger. It's, it's just set in the ordinary. Matter of fact, it's not just ordinary. It's not, it's not normal to have a baby in that low a environment. I heard a man say one time, God's not real concerned where he'll show up. He showed up in a manger. He just wants to be wanted. 
You know, I, I thank God for our building. But I'll tell you what, we had some amazing moves of God in our old building. Where the, you know, frayed carpet and we'd lay on the floor in that old carpet and had amazing moves of God. God wasn't real concerned about us having the right sound system and all that. I mean, I'm grateful for it. But God will show up in the ordinary. So here it is. Here's the sign. You, you're, you're looking. You see, God wants to give you the coordinates to the treasure. He wants to give you the roadmap to find what he's promised. So the angel shows up and said, this will be a sign to you. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What you've been longing for as a nation, nation has shown up tonight. And lest you miss it, let me give you the coordinates. It's a baby. It'll be lying in a manger. And it's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. It's going to be a very ordinary environment. Very little movement. Just a little infant. But when you see those signs, you'll know this is it. So here it is. Infant expression. Very little movement. Wrapped in the ordinary. So you say, Pastor... If that's the criteria, I can look all around me and see that kind of stuff. Exactly. That's the point. God is moving all around us. And he's looking for someone to see it with eyes of faith. And just take one point, one area of your life where God's moving. And begin to water it. And add your faith to it. And believe and God will begin to grow that. And he will break through in one area of your life. And from there, you'll begin to break into other places. But I'm telling you, if you are waiting for a miracle, if you're, I, I believe in miracles, believe me. But if you are sitting back simply waiting for a miracle, let me put it this way. Your financial need, rather then a check in the mail, God wants to tap into the seed he's already put within you. There are, you are the answer to someone's need or desire. There's a need or desire out there somewhere that God has already put the answer in you. And you bring that to the table and you meet that need, meet that desire, and you monetize that thing. No, it might be that someone has a company and you just plug in there and you become the best person in that position they've ever had because you're a kingdom person. It might be some entrepreneurial idea, I don't know. But I'm telling you that we tend to think the norm, and I've had that happen. I've had checks arrive in the mail right when I need it. I mean, I'm getting kicked out of school the next day. I don't have any more money. And all of a sudden, I flip down my license plate, and there's gas money. And I had, I've had that stuff happen. But that was early on in my walk. And that is wilderness thinking. Promised land thinking is that God puts potential in me and I learn to mine that out and grow it into the full-blown answer of what those around me need and want and I'm able to monetize that. That's just one expression. Or you can put it this way. Healing. What's better than the miracle of healing? The wisdom to live healthy so you don't need healing. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions on anybody. I know that there's genetic things and there's things that happen and stuff. I'm just saying that I know I've experienced things I could have avoided. Because I either lacked wisdom or I just didn't apply it. And so God, God wants to move us out of wilderness thinking into promised land thinking where we begin to a, a cooperate with the revelation we already have and God will add to it. And the very thing we're longing to see comes out of this partnership between heaven and earth. And that is the way of the kingdom. This will be a sign. You need a sign because it's easy to miss and the sign is it'll show up as a baby, very little movement, and it's going to be set in the ordinary. But when you have eyes to see, you recognize, oh man, that kind of stuff's all around me. And that is the point. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Last week I shared with you, I, I had a vision early Sunday morning, about 4.30. And I saw a man climbing over a fence. And, he, and I, the way I wrote it down, this is what hit me. He's a witness. And he's leaving the place of limitation. And the, what marked his life, he was dripping with blessing. You shall be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. There is an impending move of God coming to planet earth. Many are going to enter into it when it's full grown. What God's looking for this morning are those who will recognize the infant expression and get around this thing and pray and fast and love and work and give and serve until the masses will recognize it. He's looking for early adopters, those who will recognize on the front end. You see, when it's a baby, you enjoy it because it's a baby, but it's also a lot of work. I've had a lot of babies with my wife, and I love those kids, but... I didn't feel as much love at 2 a.m., okay? I'll just be honest. It's a lot of work, but there's nothing more rewarding. God is looking for the early adopters. So, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see, and, Lord, that you would do in this house, in our lives and our families, our businesses, our, our uh, employment uh, Lord, our relationships, our neighborhoods, our cities. Lord, that you would step in and let the sign be realized. And Father, I ask that you'd give us eyes to see and recognize what you're doing around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.